Trigger warning. Ella explores dark things in her work such as eating disorders and sexualization. Hello and welcome to the Women's Workshop podcast. I'm Ella, the co-founder of the Women's Workshop, and this is my co-host and partner, Imi. Hi, I'm Imi, and today we're doing something a little bit different. For the first podcast, we interviewed me. Well, Ella interviewed me. For the second podcast, well, for this podcast, we've decided that I'm going to interview Ella. So you've all got that to look forward to. And uh, be warned, I do do some very disturbing things in my own personal artwork. So uh, beware for the conversations that lie ahead. (laughs) Um, Also, we've got a competition up and running at the moment um, titled What Does Feminism or Being a Woman Mean to You? We've already had one amazing entry by uh, Diella Illustrations on Instagram. Uh, So if you do want to enter, all you have to do is um, create whatever you're creating in whatever medium you like um, and tag at the Women's Workshop, uh, at Imi Midi and at EllaJasmine.Samuel. Pretty sure that's my handle. If not, the info is in the post. Even then, just tagging the Women's Workshop will do most of the time as long as you like hashtag our competition or something like that or just make sure that we know it's for the competition. And uh, the prize is absolutely amazing. So prepare yourselves because you will be commissioned by us to design our podcast logo. Yeah, we're sick and tired of having a Canva print. We want something cool and we want to support our artists through it. And we also like feel like the only fair way would be to run a competition and not pick one of you, at, like pick our favourites because we don't have a favourite. We love you all. Yes, we um, do. Anyway, without further ado, unless we have anything to announce, which I don't believe we do. No, we did all of our announcements last week, really. (laughs) Right, okay, so let's hop into the interview with me. Yeah. So, how are you doing during lockdown? Yes, we're doing all of the questions we normally ask our interviewers. (laughs) I've been doing okay, thank you, Imi. I work full-time in digital marketing, as most of you who follow the account will know. Um, But yeah, it's not been too bad, you know, lots of ups and downs, a few mental breakdowns here and there, but, you know, pretty much the same as everyone else. (laughs) I mean, lockdown one was fine. I was perfectly fine. Yeah. The ones that came after it, which were... um, repeated kicks in the mouth yeah soul destroying i would say yeah the first one was pretty chill you know the first one it was like oh two weeks all of this will blow over we were all inside people got time off work eating loads of food takeaways binge watching the tiger king so um yeah and then after that it all went a bit downhill (laughs) yeah it hit like summer and we were like just coming out of lockdown and everyone was like i don't think i think this is happening a little bit too early Um, but yeah, apart from, you know, the general anxieties that lockdown has brought, I am peachy. Thank you. Well, you started the women's workshop during lockdown, so, you know. Yes, I did. Well, I have to admit, I've actually not been very good at doing things that are artistic because it's very hard to fit stuff in when you have a full-time job. Uh, but yes, I did set up the women's workshop, so that's one, one good thing that came out of it. Tell us a bit about you and your art history and how you've become interested in everything. 
Right, so I studied art for A-level. Uh, I did some very weird stuff, uh, exploring themes of uh, eating disorders, mental health, paedophilia. Um, it was all pretty dark. Um, I actually explored like paedophilia because I read the book Lolita. Uh, I don't know if you know what Lolita's about. There's also a film with Jeremy. Yeah, which I've heard the Lana Del Rey song. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting book, actually. It's basically written from the perspective of the paedophile. Um, and it's just the way he, like, sexualizes this 13-year-old girl and how in the book she's made out to be very, like, promiscuous and sort of flirtatious. And the book points towards it being, like, her fault in a way for being so, like, beguiling, even though, like, she's a child, because obviously it's written from the perspective of the paedophile. So basically I looked into that and then I looked at all kind of children's fairy tales and stories and films that actually the authors had some very dark backgrounds. Um, uh, Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, and also J.M. Barry, who uh, wrote Peter Pan. Yeah, no, quite a lot about that. Um, and it's not really a children's novel, but um, Victor Hugo wrote Les Miserables and Notre Dame de Paris. Um, some very uh, questionable things in that to do with in them to do with race and gender like very question i don't know if you've read the original hunchback of notre dame but it's fucked up yeah i feel like a lot like most fairy tales are pretty fucked up i mean every single fairy tale has been disnified nowadays but if you go back to the original tale they're all really grim but yeah. i quite enjoy reading all the grim versions of them just because they're a bit more they're more like horror stories than fairy tales i really do suggest notre dame de paris well, I will I will take that under advisement yeah. for my next creepy art project. Because in that we discover that Esmeralda, I'm going to just, because I don't think a lot of our listeners are going to, and they, they're going to read it and they want to discover the creepy things and the weird stuff. So in Notre Dame de Paris, we discover that Esmeralda isn't actually a gypsy, but she's a white baby that has been kidnapped by gypsies and raised as a gypsy. Um, and she's 15 and is still sexualized by Frollo, who is a priest now, not a judge, like he is in Disney. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that doesn't even surprise me. There's, there's a lot darker stuff that goes into a lot of the Disney stories that we know today. Um, but like the stuff I was looking at in A-level, it was a lot about like paedophilia and dark stuff and mental health, but also about like the idealization of youth in terms of like paedophilia and how um, like being young is very much idealized and also young young women especially are sexualized. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was the same in stuff like Peter Pan, like J.M. Barry who wrote the books. Um, it's a very long, creepy story, but basically he was a single man and he befriended this family, uh, a mother, a father and three sons. And I think he just met them walking in the park or something, but he became really close with this family and became almost like, you know, an uncle or something. But there was just a lot of conspicuous things that went on, like he was really close to um, the youngest kid and he wrote him letters like... Um, you know, don't ever tell your parents about our little secret and our little arrangement and things like that. And then gets even creepier. So basically, um, 
the mum died um, of like cancer or something and then the dad died so the children became orphans and the nanny was supposed to take responsibility for the children but he forged a signature left in the will saying that the parents should leave the children to him so he took guardianship of the children illegally because he forged um, the will. Fucking Jesus Christ. So uh, yeah, it was pretty creepy. And after that, uh, pretty, I think all of the boys died. He didn't kill them, but they just all sort of happened to die. Like one of them went off to war, died at war. One of them, I think very sadly, killed himself with um, his gay lover because it was in like, I think it was like the early to middle 1800s so obviously it was very frowned upon uh so yeah they all actually ended up dying hence his inspiration for the lost boys or um you know boys of the dead who go to neverland and never come back because it's the land of the dead okay huge trigger warnings on this episode yeah i did i did say in the first one there was some creepy stuff Anyway, so that was A-level art, so that was fun. Uh, lots of creepy dark stuff, had an age rating uh, put on my end of year exhibition. None of the younger years were allowed to come in. And there was also the signs that were like, um, this art exhibition contains scenes that some may find disturbing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was- always love. Yeah, of course. Just all the more, all the more reason to have some fun with it. Um, but anyway, so that was A level, and then I've forgotten what the original question was, but I'm just going to keep talking. So then I went on to uni at Leeds to study art and design, uh, which, to be honest, was a bit up and down. I felt like my first two years of uni, I didn't really, I sort of tried, but I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, with like my projects and ideas, just because I've always lacked confidence because I'm not a drawer or a painter, but not conventional at all. So most of my mediums have explored photography, film, uh, and some very weird sculptures, but not sculptures in the sense you'd think, more sculptures like cutting up plastic baby heads and Barbies and sticking them together and making creepy stuff. Very performative, I'd say. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, that's just, you know, a little summary. That's a very good summary. It sort of <laughs> moved on to our next question very nicely as well. Good. Which was your next question. It's like, what, what would you describe your medium as? And Right, okay. Well, I'd probably describe my main medium as photography, but very much in a performative, like performative photography, I guess, if that's a genre. So a lot of the time I'd use myself uh, as a subject for my projects, mainly because I, like, I explored some very weird, like deep, dark, sensitive issues. So I always found it kind of hard approaching people because also I don't want to make anyone like feel uncomfortable because quite a lot of the issues I explore are quite uh, unconventional and disturbing. So, yeah, I heard the first 10 minutes of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So mostly I'd use myself, but also just because like, I found it almost easier to use myself just because like, you know, I'm not afraid to do anything. I'd like, you know, pour blood over myself, do weird things to myself, strip down naked. Like I wasn't afraid of anything. So it was just easier. Um, but yeah, so I'd say probably performative uh, photography and sometimes film. 
Uh, but in my last year of uni, I did have loads of fun collaborating with people. Uh, that's one of my favourite things to do, actually. That's why, partly why I wanted to set up the women's workshop to meet more creatives. Because I think sometimes when you don't have skills that other people do and you have skills that they don't, it's just a really good opportunity to create things. I'm very much like an ideas person. I have like a vision and an idea, but I'm not always sure how to create it because I don't have like, I can't paint or draw or whatever. So I often try to create it through what I can do, which is like photography and film. But I prefer working with other people. So in my last year, I worked with um, a drag performer, uh, a ballerina and a makeup artist. So that was really fun. Um, so yeah, that's my medium, but I am very much open to working with others as well. Yeah, cool. I completely agree with what you were saying with that, because in my uh, work as a musician, I'm a solo musician and because I'm, I'm a psychopath and I'm a perfectionist. Your boyfriend will tell you that in the band that we were in, I did a lot of the songwriting mm -hmm. because I'm a psychopath. <laughs> but, when it comes to like doing music videos and artwork, I had to teach. I taught myself design. I taught myself video editing because I didn't know how to do it, and I didn't want anybody else to come and do it. But since like getting in on this project, I think I, I feel like I'm more. Com you've helped me become more comfortable collaboration with collaboration. So well, good. Well done. I'm glad. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think the thing is, you can't always have all the skills to create something like often it depends what sort of person you are like I actually I didn't really even know I enjoyed collaborating with other people but definitely I think it's nice to kind of almost be like an artistic director that's why I quite like the idea of doing like art direction because I like the idea of putting everything together organizing everything having like one ultimate aim or ultimate vision and then having loads of people come together to create it um that's why yeah I think I don't know, working in a, like exhibition managing sounds really fun because you get to not, it's not curating the exhibition, but it's like putting it together. So for example, if you have a photographer who uses like loads of props in his work, like you'd like dangle props from the ceiling and like make it look all cool. So yeah. I've never seen um, the six foot cheese grater. No. I can't remember who did it. Made a six foot cheese grater, but it was built like a um, Japanese screen blind. Okay. And cool. it was utterly bananas. But in yeah. that, um, <laughs> in that, um, it was mainly her photography, her photography, and then just in the middle of the uh, exhibition was this six-foot cheese grater. <laughs> I lo I love stuff like that. The randomer, the better. Um, I went to this one exhibition at the Tate Modern in London a few years ago and it was these two Russian artists, I think they were called the Kabakovs, um, and they just had the most amazing like journey of an exhibition so like there was all these little like scenes they put together with like tiny little miniature people walking on tight ropes and then they had like a massive train just going through the exhibition they're just all these props that they put together and it created this sort of like alter reality other world thing but yeah i love stuff like that it's mona hotem who did the cheese grit i'll just ah, oh my god that is so cool how yeah god that must have been a bitch to make Stop. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, anyway. Um, oh yeah, that's one thing I would say about um, lockdown and COVID that has been really fucking annoying is um, 
like COVID happened just before I finished my final project. So I still had like three, four months left of my uh, uni degree. And I had all of these projects planned with other people because especially photography, we were talking about it with Zoe uh, last week. If you want to go check that podcast out, um, SZ Creative on Instagram. Um, but yeah, being a photographer, when you rely on other people a lot as your models um, and like going out into settings, it was really hard when like everything closed down and you couldn't see anyone, you couldn't go anywhere. Um, because I had all these plans with like drag performers I was going to go and work with and also like using like all the workshops that you need to like create things and try out new things and like all of that stopped so literally I just did my whole project like from my house using myself but uh, we'll talk about that a bit later that's a whole more weird topics to come slightly yeah. less dark though I think kind of yeah because we were going to do something together we were going to do from normal trans girl to demon that spits blood out of their eyes. Yes, I know. We we still will. We still will one day. One, one day. day soon. Yeah, I've got. I, I do definitely want to get back into doing like projects with people again. I think it's just. I think COVID has very much changed like my outlook on life in terms of. I just feel like I've become a bit less social. Like I still enjoy seeing people and stuff, but I think I've got just got so used to like being at home like working, being at home, going to bed. I don't know, it just, it always feels weird now when I'm like out and about and with people. Like, it's really nice, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's gonna take some adjusting to, for me to go back to normal. I don't know. I feel like I just, I feel like I'm waiting for something at the moment. I don't know what it is. I just, you know, I think just cause this whole year has been a one long pause. I feel like I'm waiting for something to happen. Not quite sure what it is and I probably shouldn't be waiting for it because I don't think it's gonna come. I don't even know what it is, but if you can hear me, it, please come soon. People who are dumb are gonna think you're asking for a clown to come and eat you. <laughs> oh my God, don't say that. You're gonna jinx it now. So are there any other art styles that you wanna like venture into or have a look at or that you enjoy looking at? Well, I, very honestly, I haven't actually created any art in ages because I've been working, but when I do eventually go back to working on projects again, which I hope to, um, I just like to do some more performance-based stuff, but not just, a lot of the performance stuff I've done so far is sort of video um, art, which I wouldn't really call film, because I do stuff like more like clips that you'd like project onto a wall and stuff, but I'd really like to do some proper like long, performance art pieces so I don't know like Mar Marina Abramovic is one of my favorite performance artists um and she does stuff like um I think I've talked about her before actually so I won't go into too much detail but she does like performance pieces where she uses herself as an artwork and she'll actually put herself in the gallery and um stay there for like seven hours doing a variety of uh interesting things to kind of show what the body's limits are and push, pushing the body to its limits and what is existence it's all very existential and interesting so if you want to go check her out uh, but yeah i'd say if i'm going to go back into it i definitely like to do some more performance stuff um and probably get into film again but more i won't say plot based all the films i've done have been very experimental not really like proper planned out more just like a stream of consciousness as a video um so i think i'd probably like to do some more film stuff as well but 
yeah, I'm not sure. And collaborate again with other people and maybe even the people uh, who are following the women's workshop. Uh, if you have an idea for a project and you want to work on it, then let me know. Anything creepy, disturbing and feministic is uh, my fave, so. Um, I've completely lost track of the questions. Uh, so we'll go to like, because we, I, I'm going to break the fourth wall. We didn't actually write questions for this podcast. We were just going to sort of yeah, we're going to re- recycle them. But you know, yeah. you always get different answers, so it's fine. Yeah. So I'm going to go down to. Um, do you prefer like? Would do you prefer like being able to edit yourself, like do post production performance art, or would you rather be able to just like start doing it, like not like if you know like live performance art. I think confidence-wise, I'd definitely start with some post-production stuff. Like I'd, st- I'd still want to do longer versions of performance art. So, for example, literally like do something for like six, seven hours to make a point or express something and then film myself doing it, but then post-production it and release it. Um, but I think I would like to do some live performance stuff in the future, maybe, but I have very bad stage fright. I was once on a cruise when I was uh, five years old and I was with my family and um, they made me enter a talent competition because my cousin was in it. Uh, my family are lovely, by the way, but um, yeah, uh, the, the, like Ned was entering my cousin and he sang... Um, you know the song, it was like, a pizza hut, a pizza hut, can't take a fried chicken and a pizza hut. So he sang that and he was the star of the show and I was like, I was meant to sing Winnie the Pooh. Um, and I got so scared that I stuck my tongue out of the audience and ran away and hid under my seat. So performance art live might be a bit of a wait. What a wait it'll be. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be worth the wait. Trust me, if you are, there'll, there'll be some age ratings on that performance. Do you have like a, fadi- a favorite medium to look at at all? Um, that's a good question, actually. Like an, a favorite aesthetic in, in medium. Mm, oh, that's such a hard question. Oh, I know it's a really rubbish answer, but like I, I really genuinely love all mediums. Like, what do you mean by aesthetic exactly? Like, for example, like cartoon aesthetic or abstract or... Okay, well, yes, no, I actually, I really, really love uh, illustrations, like all the illustrators on Instagram who follow us, like uh, daily mantras and sort of, I don't want to say simple illustrations because they're not simple, but simple in like their messages, like happy, positive messages and uh, like, yeah, that sort of cartoony style, which is very relatable. Um, I really, really like that, but also, yeah, anything abstract, like some of the abstract stuff I really like on Instagram um, is Lucy, also known as Lula Fortune on Instagram. She does these incredible uh, illustrations of like faces melting and um, all like manner of creepy things. She did an amazing piece for our um, ugly art competition. It was like all of the STDs in their cell form and it's cell form, is that right? Yeah, well, yeah. Zoomed in. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But anyway, yeah, she does. I like, yeah, I just, I mean, to be honest, I like anything like slightly creepy or gory. Like, I'm also a horror film fan, which I know is a very unpopular genre, but I love the gore and the creepiness and just anything like that. So, 
Oh, it's so hard to say like a favorite aesthetic because I genuinely love so many different types of art, but I think just anything that's very different. Like I do love things that are aesthetically pleasing. Like I like paintings of like, you know, women or like cute illustrations of like cartoon everyday things. But I think anything that's very sort of makes me feel a bit disturbed, I would say. Hmm? If it's a bit off the wall. Yeah, just anything that's like really pushing the boundaries, you know, like a bit tabby, a bit of gore, anything like that, I'm all for it. Yeah. Are you a fan of David Lynch films by any chance? You know what? Um, no, I'm not. But like, I'm the sort of person who should be. Like my friend Alex loves David Lynch films and no, I really don't like it. Like I like, I do like really like creepy stuff, but I don't really like films that, just don't really have a plot and like I just I just I do find them a little bit pretentious I'm not gonna lie like I watched freaking Blue Velvet shout out to my best friend Angie and Jake who have to suffer this with me it is genuinely like it just annoys me when it has no plot and all the characters are just very random and they'll like run out into the grass and then someone's hiding in a cupboard someone has a knife but like there is no strings to tie this plot together like I like films that are weird love a bit of Wes Anderson Love Tarantino, love weird indie shit, but you know what? David Lynch is a step too far for me. Have you watched any John Waters films? Mm, which which films does he Pink do? Pink Flamingo. No, I haven't. They are a bit Lynchian, but they're also they also have some sort of plot going on as well. Okay, I will. I'll add it to my film list. I like. I do like stuff that's different. Like there are. I'm trying to think, oh, I can never think of any examples off the top of my head, but like, I do like films that are a bit weird. Like what's, what's a weird film you can think Face of? Face Off. No, I haven't seen that. Fucking hell, Face I felt- Fucking mental film. <sighs> well, I feel- Nicolas Cage plays John Travolta playing Nicolas Cage. Well, that sounds fucking insane. It's absolutely bananas. That sounds great. Um, okay, oh, I've just thought of a weird film. Mandy, which also has Nicolas Cage in it, was a fucking weird film, and that was great. I really enjoyed that. Uh, oh, Natural Born Killers. It was not directed by Tarantino, but I believe the screenplay was written by Tarantino. That was really fucking weird. I enjoyed that. But I don't know, there's some films I watch which I really like, but I could only watch once, like um, Black Swan. I loved Black Swan, thought it was a masterpiece. I don't know if I could watch it again. Like maybe, I don't, you know when something just really makes your skin crawl? Like I love that sort of thing, but also, yeah, I don't know if I could do it again. Yeah, but like, I do like that. That's what I like. I do like that being made to feel uncomfortable sort of thing. Oh, just sort of another example, Suspiria, which was also a recommendation by Alex. Uh, that's a great film. Do you, do you know it? I don't know. Um, It's like, I think it's an Italian film. Oh, I'm gonna get all the facts wrong now, but like it's, it's really weird. It's an Italian film, but it's dubbed over in English, but that is the original film. They just, they did a lot of that, like dubbing over in English. I don't know why. Anyway, regardless of that, it's about this girl who goes to this really strict ballet school, but it's proper like horror filmy. And I think, I think it was witches who ran the ballerina school and just all this creepy shit went on. There was loads of red lighting and like, like flashing stuff and people being, I'm pretty sure there was a girl who got sliced by barbed wire. There was loads of creepy shit that went on, but- um, I've got another yeah. couple of films that you might want to have a look at. One's called Tusk. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. 
in which a man gets turned into a walrus. <laughs> like his legs get turned together so he like resemble a flipper and like he, they, they gets force fed so he gets really fat. <laughs> and another one's called Mommy's Home where a woman goes and has plastic surgery but she comes back and she's just different and it's really it's really creepy oh I, I think i've heard of that actually yeah yeah i will i have to get back into my weird films because i haven't i've been in a very uh, rut recently with watching stuff like i'm a massive re-watcher if i like something i will re-watch it multiple times and because as well in my opinion not loads of good new movies have come out recently like i've just been re-watching old stuff Oh, same. My I, my dad's been paying for Disney Plus, and all I've been doing is watching Futurama and Dis and The Simpsons. Um, I've been watching It's Always Sunny. I've actually, you know what? I actually really didn't like It's Always Sunny. Um, the first time I watched it, but I've really gotten into it recently. Yeah, It's Always Sunny is one of those ones. It's really hard because all the characters in it are unapologetically awful yeah. but that's the point you're not supposed to like any of them and when stuff goes wrong for them you're supposed to laugh i know well that's that's the thing i think that's what i'm not used to because i do like generally to root for a character you know like at least one character but no it has actually really grown on me i do like it and it is it is really funny but the funniest show of all time in my opinion actually no it is it is truth uh it's peep show i think peep show is just fucking genius <laughs> i have laughed till i've cried watching david mitchell like oh, i just love david mitchell just because he's so awkward and they're also both quite bad people but david mitchell is just very like i sort of like him even though he's not very nice in peep show and he's also like just super awkward <laughs> But anyway, uh, I can't remember what the the original the original question from that was. Neither can I. But I'm enjoying the ride. Me too. Let's just go with it. So, what sort of stuff do you like tend to explore? We talked about the dark stuff. What other sort of stuff do you like have a look at? Uh, so most of my work has mainly been focused on uh, abjection. Uh, so I did my dissertation on it and basically abjection is, and I don't know if I'm going to explain this in a very articulate way, but it's sort of everything that opposes what we sort of like aesthetically and what's sort of acceptable. It's like if you think of like the grotesque and everything that like repulses us and that we find difficult to look at or to consume, it's everything, it's the opposite of that. It's like the underbelly of aesthetic. Right, okay. So it so a lot of my work I do lots of things that are sort of grotesque or like make you feel quite uncomfortable. Like uh, I'll talk about my fave artists later, but um, anything that really goes against what you want to see in art in a way, like I'm all about art that's aesthetically pleasing, but the reason why I like stuff that is very like disgusting and repulsive in a way, especially when it comes to sort of like feminist issues is because obviously women have always been held to this ideal to look a certain way and to appear beautiful and feminine and conventional. And I think what I like about exploring abjection in relation to the female body is that it just tells that to fuck off basically. It's just, it's, and it also questions why we feel certain ways about like why we're repulsed by something like for example uh julia kristeva um 
she's this uh, art academic and she wrote this uh, article called The Theory of Abjection. Uh, it's very complicated to read, so I'm just going to try and explain it as best I can. But it's sort of like when food, for example, uh, when we look at food and we feel like hungry and it makes us like if you've been starved for a week and you're looking at like a beautiful cake, it's something that is like delectable and delicious and something you really like the look of. But once that cake goes moldy or goes past its expiration date, it becomes something that repulses us when it was something that used to be like delectable to us. So I think of that in the same way as like the body. So it's like, you know, we have this ideal of it being like thin, white, everything the patriarchy dictates. And when it goes against that, so when, you know, you have a woman who's fat, like, you know, bleeding. Um, Trans. Well, yeah. Anything that goes against the... Norm. Yeah, the norm. It's like questioning why we feel that way about things. and Like, in every day, why are we repulsed by certain things? It's like, once something... It's, it's actually, it's really, really difficult to explain. Like I wrote about it in my dissertation. I'm sure it was very like cohesive and articulate then, but it's quite a hard thing to explain. But it's, it's basically just like, why do we find things repulsive? It's like, it crosses the border from being something that's beautiful to something that's ugly because of like either time it's spent out, like food going all It's like when people have like so much plastic surgery that they don't look human anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I actually looked at, um, good job you brought this up, because in my dissertation, I actually looked at cosmetic surgery uh, and I did a project on it as well. Um, I'm just a quick pre-header. Pre I'm actually not against cosmetic surgery. I used to be quite like, you know, why are people doing this to themselves? People are only doing this to themselves to conform to the beauty standard. And I do still feel like a lot of the reason why people feel like they have to undergo cosmetic surgery is because they want to live up to a certain ideal. But I also think that if it makes someone feel better about themselves, it increases their confidence and they feel more themselves after getting it, then that's totally fine. But what I looked at in my dissertation was the idea that the end result of cosmetic surgery is meant to be this beautiful, young, ideal thing. But the process of cosmetic surgery is actually really gruesome. You know, you're sliced, you're torn apart, you're pulled oh, yeah. apart, you're stitched up together. Um, and there's this artist, Orlan. Uh, I do, do you know her? Don't think so. You should, uh, you, would, you would really like her. So she is a performance artist but what she does is she literally gets cosmetic surgery as her performance art but not cosmetic surgery to make herself look conventionally beautiful she makes her like bumps on her face like distorts it and she films all of her surgeries and displays them as art pieces um so yeah i looked at no couldn't what couldn't look at that and but but no but like her I mean, I think it's all up to interpretation, but I think that is a good definition of an abject artist, someone who is questioning the line between like what's considered to be beautiful and what's considered to be ugly. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. And that's why I like to explore it because I like to piss off the patriarchy. And also just because I think it's this whole question of, why we're so obsessed with beauty and why there's actually why do we need to look beautiful 
Um, I think it's something that everyone struggles with. I think it's something that everyone struggles with because most girls that I know, and I'm sure men as well, but girls specifically struggle with the way that they look and feeling like they don't fit the beauty standard and feeling not good enough. Um, and I've struggled with it myself a lot. And I just came to the realization recently, like, why are we actually so obsessed with beauty? Like beauty means nothing. And I know logically everyone's like, it's about on the inside that counts, but like really think about it. Like what the fuck does it matter? Like how beautiful something is? It literally doesn't correlate to anything that goes on in our lives. Like everyday living, you don't walk around admiring yourself and admiring other people. Like, yeah, you might check people out. You might think someone's beautiful, but it's not the sole reason for your existence. It's not what you do from day to day. And I think abjection massively questions that. And like, why is there even a need for beauty? Also, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What's beautiful to one person is could be hideous to another. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think also we have been very much like, conditioned by society to perceive things in a certain way and to want certain things i think recognizing that is really important like for example um i'm very tall i'm six foot one for those of you who don't know um imi's also really tall uh are you six foot two oh my god we are such a tall girls club um but anyway so i've always struggled with being tall uh, as a woman because it's fucking like it sucks loads of people comment on it uh people will walk up to you in the street and ask you how tall you are and finding glasses is a pain yeah oh finding any sort of clothes is a fucking pain like but circling back to my yeah my point I got a bit lost there, but yeah. So what I was gonna say is a lot of what I get asked is, oh, is your boyfriend taller than you? And the answer is no, because Martin is not taller than me. And I used to be really stressed about it, not with Martin, just in general. I used to say, I'm never gonna date a guy who's not taller than me. And it's like one of the first things people ask me, you know, if I like say I have a boyfriend because they know that I'm really tall, they'll be like, oh, is he taller than you? And I remember saying to one of my friends once, I said like, well, no, but like, why does that matter? The only reason you think that, and I'm sorry, this is the truth, that it's not an opinion. The only reason you think that a guy should be taller than a woman in the same way that you think a woman should be like slimmer than a man or more delicate than a man is because we've been conditioned to think that they should be like the protector, the provider, the breadwinner. They should be bigger than us and stronger than us so they can protect us. Yeah. And like obviously everyone, you, you, I'm sorry, go on. I say it's toxic gender roles, toxic femininity and masculinity. Yeah, I mean, it's everything you see in the media. You never see a guy shorter than a woman without, I was going to say without it being made like a joke about, but you never really see it anyway. Like if you think about any Tom Cruise movie, Tom Cruise is shorter than all the women he has filmed with, but they film it so that he looks taller than the women when he's not. Yeah, the only like couple that isn't you and Martin that I can think of that most people will know is Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman. Oh, I didn't know Danny DeVito was with someone. Is that his wife? Yeah, um, Raya Perlman's quite a lot taller. Well, I think she's a foot taller than Danny DeVito. Mm -hmm. Which is just a fun fact. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it, it goes both ways, but um, 
yeah, the, like the reason we feel that way is because of everything we're fed as we're growing up. Like you, you don't just, I don't think, my friend said to me, she was like, oh, but I, you know, I just like to date a guy who's taller than me because it's just a personal preference. And I'm like, but it's not a personal preference if every single other person feels that way, including myself in the past, because you've been told to feel that way. You don't find, like it's even the way we find people attractive. Like we don't just find people attractive because we find them attractive we often find people attractive because of the way we've been told to find people attractive. Like if being overweight and, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of other taboo things for a woman to be and like, you know, you were really loud and you sat with your legs apart. I'm trying to name all things that are, you know, anti, anti the feminine ideal. Um, if that was the ideal, then that's what we'd all want. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So, yeah, I think there's no... <clears throat> you can accept that you're a product of society because everyone is in some sense, especially living in the Western world. Everything you do is dictated by how you've been raised by capitalism. Like, wanting things, wanting to buy things, um, wanting... There's a great book that I suggest for everybody to read called The McDonaldization of the World. Is it about commercialism and consumerism and capitalism? Yeah, it's about capitalism and globalism and how the two things sort of interconnect. But yeah, I think it's such a, I mean, it's so normal to us in the Western world because we've been brought up like this. It would almost be more difficult for us to just leave the Western world, go and be self-sufficient, not work nine to five jobs, say no to buying loads of stuff. It would be difficult for anyone. And you like you shouldn't feel guilty about that. It's because of how you have been conditioned. Like pretty much everything that you are has been made by society. But what is good about what's happening now is that people are talking about the problems and people are recognizing that everything that we do think and feel is because of what we've been taught. It's not about what's just comes naturally to us because nothing comes naturally to us. Everything is taught to us. Yeah. Totally agree. And at some point, Ella's dissertation, if you're interested in learning about object art, will be on the website as in, in blog form. Oh, as is Emmy's um, research articles from uni, I believe. Well, one of my research articles into, uh, it's actually two of them, but they're both into the same thing about gender and creativity and how creativity is taught to different, to, uh, different people different in different ways. So basically anything to do with feminism and uh, capitalism and everything else that is wrong with the world. I'm sorry, I said that wrong because feminism isn't what's wrong with the world. The patriarchy is what's wrong with the world. But basically, yeah, it's all on the website. So please go check it out. Um, anyway, I think we should move on from my uh, my rant there. But I hope I got some points across. Not quite sure where I was going with that, but let's continue. Yeah, we'll move on to our, our question that we ask everyone that comes on the uh, podcast. Have you experienced any misogyny or prejudice in the art world? You know what? As much as I uh, am a raging feminist um, who knows that there are problems in the world that discriminate against women, I'd say I haven't really been in the art world because I've been in the education system all my life, so I've not really experienced any misogyny there, especially because every single person on my course was a girl, that there was no men from my A-levels to the end of my degree, there were no men on my course, so there was no misogyny that I experienced. Um, but I think there's definitely an issue 
I think a lot of the people we've been interviewing recently, we asked this question to everyone and most people, you know, thankfully and um, luckily have said that they haven't experienced kind of discrimination for being a woman in the arts. But I think from what I've read and what I know, I think it's more when you're probably properly out in like the art circles and the sort of pretentious groups of the art world. So like a lot of our artists are based online and are creating work online. And I think lots of the communities have been very supportive. I think there is a great, there's great resources, you know, on social media for providing a space for communities. And there'll always be dickheads and trolls, but like a lot of it is very supportive and a lot of it is very positive. Whereas I think out in kind of galleries and museums and in terms of being able to succeed as an artist and live off your artwork as a woman, I think is more difficult because I don't think there's as many opportunities as there should be for female artists. Yeah, um, well, we've seen the research and the, re the the figures are on our Instagram page, as we say, almost every week. But also when we were talking to Jackie, um, she was saying that she only experienced any, um, Jackie, absolute mistake, I should say, for anybody who hasn't listened to that podcast. She was saying that she experienced it more um, because of the stigma of being a woman and the stigma of being an artist sort of coming together to create the idea of a woman artist being this loose, carefree shagger, for want of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, I think there's certain associations that people have with the idea of being a female artist more than there is for male artists. And I think I mean it is obviously because historically there aren't many records of great female artists, but it's not because they didn't exist. There are loads of female artists. There's um Artemisia, is that is that how you pronounce it? Uh she was an incredible uh painter in the Oh, fucking hell, I really should have got my history facts. <laughs> I, I think it was like the 1700s, um, well, I think. We've got um, the ancient Greek poets, like how nobody, everybody rem everybody knows like Homer, who wrote the Iliad, and um, Socrates, and Plato, but hardly anybody talks about Sappho. I don't, I don't know, I don't even know Sappho. Sappho's very big in lesbian circles because she's like the OG, like, I'm a dyke and I'm proud. Well, she sounds amazing. See, this is the thing. There isn't any education on these people because there aren't as many records of them existing, but there are books on them. There are, they're just not as notable because at the time, you know, they were women artists. They didn't have any power or any influence or any way of getting into that sphere. And it was, <clears throat> the mid, no, the early 1600s, Artemisia, I, I'm really bad at pronouncing her name, but it's Artemisia Gentileschi. She was an Italian painter. Um, but yeah, I think there's just, <clears throat> because historically there's been such a lack of representation of women in the arts and women haven't had the same opportunities, which thankfully now has changed and there are more spaces for women artists. But like, the statistics don't lie. Like what annoys me is, it's the same with like the pay gap and everything, but we won't go into all of that. But like the statistics say that there are far more um, male artist exhibitions in London. There's like five to 10% that make up women artist exhibitions. 
And like, that's just, that's not a coincidence. It's not just people are like, oh, well, it's just because like there aren't, you know, there aren't enough women in the arts and like they, they don't want to do it. No, there's fucking loads of female artists. We can see you all on our freaking page. Like we know that you're there. I'm going to ask sort of a reverse version of this question with you saying that it was 100%-ish women or non-binary people um, who were AFAB on your um, art courses. Do you think that there's a problem that we could be seeing the reverse problem in a couple of years where... What, that there aren't enough men? Yeah. Um, or do you think maybe. that patriarchy won't allow that? I think... I mean, I think that's a fair question because, to be honest, a lot... I mean, in A-levels, it doesn't really count that everyone on my course was a girl because it was a girls' school, so we were all girls. Um, but, yeah, my art course was all girls. There were two guys on it to begin with, but they both dropped out, so it just ended up being all girls. Um, I think art has actually become regarded as um, more of a female... Yeah. Object in the education system. Anyway, I think, I do think in the art world, there seems to be a lot more male artists than there are boys and men in schools and universities taking up art. Because I think in the education system, art is very much viewed as a, and I'm doing the, um, the air quotes, a soft subject. Uh, which someone once said to me just before I was I was choosing my A-levels and I said to him I was like yeah I'm gonna take history English and art and he was like oh those are quite soft subjects aren't they art yeah art was my hardest fucking A-level I was literally there every single day like writing research articles doing concepts doing hours of sketchbook work till three in the morning I had the same thing when I was like when somebody asked me what my degree was in and I was like oh I'm doing a degree in music production and they went not real subject is it I was like do you want to do it yeah but I don't I don't understand where that perception has come from I think it's because people <clears throat> perceive art as being like <clears throat> oh you're just painting pretty pictures and just doodling things it's like no you work on a skill whatever skill that is in your creative medium you hone that skill you practice that skill repeatedly you come up with concepts you research other artists you put together articles to explain all of the different subjects you're going to explore and then you create a cohesive project with a billion different pieces and all of the work leading up to that shown in your sketchbooks or your practice pieces it's and then not fucking to, drawing pretty pictures. It is drawing difficult. Then you have to review it all as well. And that's the yeah. hardest thing. Well, and it's also so difficult when you put so much of your, your heart and your soul and your energy into something. And it doesn't always work out. Like, that is what happens. Because a lot of creative people, you have, like, a vision. You have an idea of how you want something to look in your head. And sometimes you'll create it. A lot of the time you'll create it. And it won't look anything like how you imagined it. And you have to start from scratch and go over again. Or you have yeah. to find new ways of doing something. There, It is such a difficult process. And it is so hard for your self-esteem as well. Like, so many times when I've been doing art, I've thought, why the fuck am I doing this? I'm no good. Like, I'm rubbish. And, like, I've always struggled with that. My first year of A-levels... I did really badly because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what medium to do. I didn't think I was any good. And then second year, I did very well and came top of my class because I believed in myself. Because 
art is so subjective. All art forms, film, and um, there's obviously ways that you can do it properly, quote unquote. But it's also subjective. Like you could, I could write the best song I've ever heard, and somebody could be like, "That's fucking garbage." You could create the one of the best pieces of performance art ever, and people could be like, "Oh, that's boring." Um, and that's why people that do maths and science can eat an entire dick as far as I'm concerned because math there's always a right answer with maths even if you're forming a theory to prove the right answer at the end of the day you still get a right answer yeah exactly there is no right answer with art well I think the thing is there are so many difficult parts of loads of different subjects no matter what you do and I don't think any uh, softer than the other or less difficult than the other I think it's just this weird perception that the education system has come up with and I do think as well that's why it's become a predominantly female subject in school I don't think that's necessarily true outside of school I think sort of in the real art world there are a lot more male artists possibly who either didn't go through the education system or they just started doing art and were praised for it because they were a man. <laughs> but um, I think that idea of it being like a soft subject and it not being difficult, which is a fucking lie, is also associated with like femininity because women are often thought to not be able to do things like, you know, business and maths and science, which are perceived as the really high class, high end courses that are going to make you loads of money, whereas art isn't going to do anything because you're stupid if you do it. I do think that's possibly the reason why it is predominantly women, not because the women are stupid, because they're not, but because they're, they're pushed more into things like that because of the perception of art, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely with classical art. Yeah, I think there is a lot of snobbery and a lot of pretentiousness in the art world. And yeah. if you don't... We have, we have the stereotype of the edgy art girl. There's no such thing really as the edgy art boy. Yeah, exactly. I suppose I... there is, because you've got the indie music boy. Who yeah. Thinks a personality. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I don't really know what it's like in the art world because I haven't been out officially in the art world, but from research and like the artists that I see in the media and the artists who get the most attention, most of which are men, and there are female artists who have made it. There's Tracy Emin, Louise Bourgeois, Cindy Sherman. Um, there's a billion other ones who now aren't coming to me. Uh, Ellen Gallagher, there's a billion, but Juliana Huxtable. But, and, and it, it has gotten a lot better. I'm not going to sit here and say things haven't gotten better. There is better representation of women in the arts, but I think in terms of the sort of pretentious circles and women really kind of being displayed in the big galleries and exhibitions, I think there is a problem in not finding them, but um, sustaining, sustaining them. them. and Yeah, sustaining them. And becoming you know an art star as you would have it i think there aren't as many women because they're not given the same opportunities in the art world i think they're given the opportunities in school and the education system but i think in the art world it does become a lot more snobby pretentious and exclusive and probably a bit like an old gentleman's club yeah we're back on the masons again they are going to burst through my window i hope you know that <laughs> um yeah, I don't really know that much about the Masons, but from well, what I've heard... I'll talk about it again because they will kill one of us. Oh, shit, okay. 
we'll, we'll, we'll stay off that subject then. Is, yeah. is that because someone who I shall not name in your family is a Mason? No, no, he's not a Mason. He didn't. As far as I know, he's he's not he's not um def, he's not done that. He's applied. But as far as I know, he's not managed to get any further. So why would the Masons kill you? Just because they're a secret society, and if we talk about them, they might oh, not. Oh, get us! Right? Okay. Yeah, I'm not scared of them. I'm sorry. They're like all old men in power, just swinging around their big white dicks. Sorry, small white dicks. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to our last question that we ask everybody. What do you have in store for the future? So at the moment, I will be focusing on uh, my full-time job. Um, but what I hope to do uh, in my in my job, uh, because I'm learning about digital marketing and sort of promotion and lots of business skills and social media and websites, etc. Um, I do in the future want to apply that more to the women's workshop and future projects. So my ultimate aim for the women's workshop is to be able to kind of host exhibitions, hopefully in person if COVID ever fucks off, um, but if not online exhibitions and then hosting like artist workshops. Um, so I think in terms of my own personal projects, I would definitely like to get back into making and creating things. And I think once everything's settled down a bit, I'd definitely like to do some collaborations with people just for fun, like with you, for example, um, and also my friend Angie. So I think I'll probably start easing myself back into it, doing personal projects, probably focused around feminism or other, or just disturbing things as per usual. What I want to do is uh, gather all the skills that I learned in digital marketing and apply it to the women's workshop so that in the future we can continue to support female artists uh, and help promote them and get them noticed very nice who, who doesn't who, who doesn't want that <laughs> exactly yeah so if you want to uh, stick along for the ride my friends we shall soon be a great enterprise who yeah. represent loads of female artists so hop on board become one of the first 2000 to get to like know, know our names <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I believe, and not that I've ever been on this podcast before as I'm a brand new interviewee, but I believe there was something about a big question coming up. Are we still doing that? Yeah, but we've got a section before that. Yes, I knew that. I knew that. Um... This is your podcast. Yes. Okay. Well, you know what? It's been it's been a whole week since we did one, so you know, I've got I've got a very short memory. <laughs> All right, we'll take a little break. You'll hear some music, podcast listeners, and then we'll be jumping into the Hall of Fame. So, Ella, the Hall of Fame, you know how it works. You select somebody to go into the Hall of Fame, whether it'll be canonised forever. Um, who are you picking? Well, it's a very difficult question because I have so many favourite female artists. Um, but actually, I'm changing my mind last minute because I was going to say Cindy Sherman, who is also amazing. You should go and check her out. But I'm actually going to say Juno Calypso. Um, so 
Juno Calypso is a London-based photographer. Uh, I only found out about her about a year and a half ago, but she does the most incredible photographs um, <clears throat> depicting an alter ego, which she calls Joyce. And she basically poses as a travel photographer and goes to all these different destinations and takes photos. But Joyce, her alter ego, always has a mask on. Um, and it's one of those like LED light masks, you know, like beauty masks. Yeah. And I'm not going to claim to know exactly what Juno Calypso intends to say through her photographs, but from what I gather, she explores femininity. She uses a lot of traditionally feminine things and themes like kind of pinks, um, putting Joyce in dresses, lots of uh, references to like beauty things and... I personally think like 1950s, like Marilyn Monroe pinup sort of aesthetic as well, isn't it? Yeah, she very much. Yeah, in the style of sort of like um, the hairstyle she does, and even like the the backdrops. Like she did one in a kitchen, which had like this pink and white checkered floor, and. I don't know if you picture like 1950s housewives like having like beauty products on and like foil in their hair and all that sort of thing it's kind of like that but she does I think she comments on femininity and sort of takes the piss a little bit out of all the things we have to do in the pursuit of beauty um that's what I gather from it anyway um but she also does things which are just slightly odd, of course, because otherwise she wouldn't be in my hall of fame. Um, but she did this one where she went to this place called, I think it's the Honeymoon Hotel uh, in America somewhere that I can't remember. And it's like this massive pink heart-shaped bath. And she paints herself like entirely green. And then she just photographs herself and films herself like dancing around in this like heart-shaped bath. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just think she's fucking amazing. Like, because what I love about her work is that it's very aesthetic. Like, as I said, I do like all the grotesque stuff, but this is why I like Juno because she combines the kind of odd and the slightly disturbing with like a very pretty image. Like, so you'll look at the image and you'll think it's like, it's a pretty pink image of a woman, but then there's just stuff that's slightly off about the image. Like the mask- Look haunting. Hmm? I've got one of the pictures up. It's fucking harrowing. Yeah, she's also my uh, screensaver. These uh, legs up against the pink wall. But there's also one where there's someone with their legs like completely wrapped in foil. <laughs> but yeah, she's absolutely amazing and is 100% my favourite artist at the moment anyway. But right. um, people listening, if you hop over to our TikTok there's actually a little short video that Ella actually made about Juno Calypso. There is indeed. Um, but yeah, also another thing I like about her works is I feel like there's kind of a hint of like horror, like almost horror film-esque, but sort of, the I feel like it's, just, it's all very tongue-in-cheek. The one picture I saw, which will be used as her Hall of Fame picture, is sort of reminiscent of The Shining. Which one's that? Um, I will... There. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was The Shining and also The Strangers, if you've ever seen that. I've seen posters of it because I am 
a quivering pussy and hate <laughs> horror films. I love horror films. So this is why the, the, just the combination of the aesthetic, the grotesque, the slightly disturbing, and also the horror film vibe. Um, but I just feel like it's all very like, it's very subtle and that's what I like about it. It's like these little hints of like, this is actually a commentary on how women are perceived in the media. And this is actually a commentary on women's obsession with skincare because of how they've been conditioned by the patriarchy. I just feel like it's very subtle, but it's just, they're beautiful images as well. Yeah, they are very good, but they're, they're, they're very pretty. And then there's just like something that's just a bit Ooh, about him. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I just, I love how she sticks to that sort of way of creating as well. I mean, I love artists who do all different sorts of things, but I th think hers are very story-based. Like she puts them all into collections and if you go through them, it is very much like taking you through a little story, like using settings as the base for like making a commentary on a specific topic or exploring where that character's going next. Yeah, totally. Um, anyone else you want to mention during the Hall of Fame section? Anyone else um, that you well, check out? Um, I mean, I have already mentioned Cindy Sherman, but I do love Cindy Sherman. Um, Cindy Sherman is also a photographer. She's done a lot of performance stuff in the past. Um, some of her early work included identity transformations, uh, which I love. So she turned herself into all of these different characters. Uh, and that's something I also did in my uni work. Um, but more than that, she she also creates disturbing works uh, that comment on sort of like cosmetic surgery, um, pornography, um, women's sexuality. So yeah, she's also another one of my faves. Um, I'm just trying to think. I also really like um, Ellen Von Unworth. Uh, she's actually a fashion photographer. She's not normally my favorite sort of artist because it's very fashion focused. But what I like about her work is that it's just all very like quirky and fun and very much like the models aren't almost posing for the camera, but they're just like having a good time. Uh, so yeah, Ellen Von Unworth is also one of my top three. Cool. So yeah, that's all of them. <laughs> but Junior Clips is my fave, so yeah. Very nice, yeah. So check out the Hall of Fame, and if you look at the, our Instagram highlights, you'll be able to see everyone else that's been in the Hall of Fame, everybody that our podcast guests have so been so lovely to put into the Hall of Fame so that you can all go and check out some incredible artists. Oh, Ella. The big, 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 big question. What are you wanting to open up a dialogue on today? Well, Emmy, that's an excellent question because I'm very prepared for this as I have been all week. And so drum roll while I tell you the question that's gonna blow your mind. So, the question I have chose is actually about um, models in the fashion photography industry um, and 
kind of the corruption within the modeling industry. Okay, cool. So I don't know if this is specifically kind of art focused. I think possibly more focused on sort of feminism, but it is in the pursuit of creating art, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, so basically, I believe the modeling industry to be extremely corrupt, uh, not only because they only depict very, very thin women who most of which are very unhealthy. And the reason this annoys me is because plus size models always get so much like shit for being plus size because people are like, you're so unhealthy. And, um, you know, you can't be showing this because you're promoting an unhealthy body image and people are going to see this and then they're going to become unhealthy. I'm like, what the fuck about all of the supermodels in the world? Like, Every single, I've literally, I've done research into this because I also did a research project on models in the um, fashion industry. And most models that you think of, all of the top ones are underweight. And it's like, it's, sorry, go on. No, 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 I was just agreeing with you. It's, the thing is, it's fine to be naturally a bit underweight or naturally a bit skinny as it is to be naturally a little bit overweight or whatever, but, the thing is that it's promoted as this ideal and not every supermodel who is in that industry is just naturally skinny. Those girls are not given jobs because they are told to starve themselves. They're told in subtle ways um, by telling them that they need to fit into a certain clothing size. Otherwise, they're not going to be featured in the like Marc Jacobs collection that year. Um, I've also read stories about models going on shoots for six seven hours and no food is provided for them um, and this is to discourage them from eating um and to be honest load there's been so many models who have developed eating disorders while being in the modeling industry and yeah they probably did already have problems before but if they didn't it was definitely enhanced by the way that they're treated yeah I've got three things to touch on with modeling. Go on. Um, actually, I've forgotten one of them. So I've got two things to touch on with modeling. Yeah. One of them is Victoria's Secret modeling, um, models um, and how they are tailored and made to be thin and cis and white and beautiful and how the person who picks Victoria's Secret Angels said, I don't want to put um, a plus size or a trans model in because we're trying to sell a fantasy and nobody wants that. And I think that's fucking disgusting. That's not just me as a trans woman saying that. I think all women should be fucking horrified by the fact that a old man, old white man has said that. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting. I mean, it's the same with brands like um, Abercrombie and Fitch. The owner of Abercrombie and Fitch also said that they don't want any fat, ugly, disgusting people wearing their clothes. And they also only hire people that are conventionally attractive and put male topless models outside of their stores to lure people in, as well as having women working in store who are only hired if they're attractive conventionally. I've remembered my other thing. So my other thing is I've started work at a, a retailer that will remain unnamed because I like my job. But um, our largest size is a size 12. What? Uh, yeah, our largest size 12. 
Oh, this this is what fucks me off. Okay, it's <clears throat> it's the modeling industry, but it's also the fashion industry and the clothes that are created for the masses, air quotes here. Um, because women's clothing sizes are fucking ridiculous. One, they literally vary completely from shop to shop. I have clothes in my wardrobe from a size eight to a size 14. Um, and also, if you order a size 12 online, in some shops, it's a um, small, it is a Primark, but they make me feel good about myself. Um, see, this is what I mean. It's dictating my self-worth with fucking numbers on fucking labels. But anyway, and in other shops from online, I'm a size 12, 10 to 12, depends on the shop. And I am a size extra large in like some online clothing sites. Yeah. Like, and it, but the thing is, it's, putting numbers on our bodies and attributing certain negative feelings with those sizes. Like women, I have stressed so much in the past about what size my clothes are, but like, I can't wear that because it's a size 14. Like I can't be a size 14 or I can't be a size 12 because like, I don't know, it's what's socially acceptable. Like people, because the models you see in the media only go up to a freaking size eight and plus, even plus size models, right? Size ten. Yeah, size 10, 12 is a plus size model. That's a normal, healthy weight who most people are. The average woman is a size 12. Exactly. But I'm going to put this into perspective as well for some people. So I'm trans. So naturally, as a result of that, I don't really have hips. So I can fit my hips in, in a pair of jeans, could be a size 10. But I have a big booty and big thighs and really muscular calves. So I need a size 16 to fit my legs in. So I'm stuck in this weird position where my, my body's just the wrong shape to wear trousers. But everything else, I'm a size 14. Now the skirt I'm wearing right now is a size eight. Like, how, where is the logic? Women's sizes are insane and... Yeah, and they're designed to make you feel bad. They're designed to make you feel bad because there is so much inconsistency with all of the clothing sizes that it just makes you question yourself like, like, <clears throat> you know, am I too big? Am I too small? Am I too this? And it is reinforced by the modeling industry because you are fed these images of unhealthy women like, I'm not saying all models have to be healthy because like they don't. I think any, you know, you can be a bit underweight, you can be a bit overweight, whatever. But it's the fact that that skinny ideal is hammered home so much and it's used for every advertising campaign in the media, every skincare product, every shaving commercial, every fucking H&M advert. Like, to be fair, H&M have gotten slightly better. So that might have been a bad example. The industry as a whole has gotten better since the 90s. Where we had Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell wandering around, snapping from a small wind. Yeah, well, the, like, it, this is the thing. Trends for women's body shapes and sizes have changed all the time. I mean, yeah, as you said, in the 90s, it was thin, 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 and like, don't have any hips, don't have a bum, just be completely 2D. And then the 2000s were more like, you have to have a big bum and you have to have big boobs. And I'm sorry, but how the fuck did the distribution of fat on your body dictate whether or not you are attractive? Yeah, I agree. 
My third <laughs> thing that I'm going to say is um, about how predatory towards young girls the fashion industry, the modeling industry is. I don't know if you watched Reggie Yates' documentary series about Russia. I have not. One of the episodes, I suggest that everybody watches it. There's one about um, homosexual people in Russia. There's one about black people in Russia. And the last one's about um, the modeling industry in Russia and how girls as young as like eight years old uh, effectively sold. They're not, but effectively they're sold and they are trained in being skinny, not in modeling. Yeah. And very predatory towards these young girls. And it's like, one girl hit 16 and she's like, I can't model anymore, I'm too old. Oh, yeah. It's like I've hit puberty, I'm gonna start getting breasts and like people don't want, people don't want to put their clothes on it because I'm not skinny enough anymore. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah, it is. I think it's just, it's such a problem as well because it's not just the individual models who suffer. And it's not all models. I mean, I'm sure some models really enjoy their job and they get treated really well, but to be honest- like you said, it is getting better from then it was 20 years ago. Yeah, it has gotten better, but there are still problems. I mean, it's still a problem that, you know, in Paris Fashion Week and on all the runway shows, there isn't anyone over like, a size, you know, a size eight, maybe a size 10, maybe. Yeah. A lot of them are cis and a lot of them are white as well. Well, exactly. And there's no <clears throat> diversity of race either. Like if there is, you know, one mixed race woman, that's great, but there's no representation of any of the other ethnicities. And you very rarely see black women on the catwalk. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And like, I just Naomi Campbell and Tyra Banks in their time were groundbreaking, and I think that's really weird. I just, I think as well, and I know that it's talked about a lot how the media influences how we perceive ourselves and it causes insecurities, but like it fucking does because it's everything. You know, as we've talked about before, it's everything that you're fed from a young age, and if you're fed from a young age, all of these beautiful images of ideal women. It's not just the modeling industry, you know, it's like TV, it's the way people are described in books. And I think there have been steps towards trying to make modeling and make the media more diverse, but I think they're such slow steps that it's gonna be a really, really long time before we see a major impact. And hopefully that's something we can all contribute towards in the future is, you know, promoting equality and diversity and like a normal fucking body type. Because the thing is the amount of girls who have suffered with like eating problems and body dysmorphia is shocking. Like I would say most of my friends have suffered with some form of eating disorder and if not an eating disorder, severe body insecurity and feeling terrible about themselves. And that's not just, as I said before, it's not just naturally born into you, it's because of what we see. And the modeling industry is the perfect example of what not to do. Like it's fine to have skinny models, but you should also have, you know, average size models, plus size models. and. This is another thing about plus size modeling. I don't necessarily, I don't think it should be called plus size modeling. I think they should just be models 
Yeah, same. I had, this was when when uh, in 2013 when they were going to legalize gay marriage, I had this massive argument about somebody. I was like, I don't think it should be called gay marriage. I think it should just be called marriage. Yeah, exactly. Because it is. It's like if you think about all the models in the media at the moment, they are all freaking underweight. There might be one who's like got a BMI of not that a BMI is necessarily a healthy measure, but who has a fucking healthy body weight. But you don't call them underweight models you don't call them skinny size models you call them supermodels or models and i think that's what all models should be called because all models are beautiful and yeah. they like it's oh it yes. losing my words going back to um diversity you rarely see any disabled models yeah oh, never i don't think i've ever seen a disabled model i can name one and that's only because i'm in that sphere of Twitter, and they are a demigirl, um, black, disabled model, and I think that's an incredible. Like, it is. We need. They are everything that the industry hates. We need so much more of that. Like the thing is, what like what is the point of models? If if you think about it, models are not. Are they really there to? Models. ideal that we all have to live up to because if so that's a fucking sick concept for a job models are just mannequins exactly they I mean, bodies. there is more to it before any models do start like emailing me but the, but effectively mo- fashion models and mannequins have the same job yeah well and also it's about <clears throat> you know models being involved in creative endeavors fashion projects photography projects but why does that mean that you have to be skinny to fulfill that quota i think if you've got like a specific vision in mind or you're trying to replicate a specific image and you need uh, a plus size model and you need a skinny model or whatever that's fine but i think it's a problem on it's a problem on a larger scale. It's the fact that all the models that you see are skinny, and then there's the plus size models over here that are sometimes shown yeah. on like curvy yeah. brand. Like that, yeah. This is the thing. This is the other thing that annoys me. The only time I ever freaking see curvy models, air quotes again, on TV is when freaking Simply B comes up. One, the models aren't even like plus size. They're just like normal bodies. And two, it's like why are bodies like this only shown on a company designed for curvy women? Because all brands should cater to fit different body types. Yeah because everybody exists and if you need to surely as a capitalist you should want to be able to sell your product to the most amount of people to maximize product to maximize profit i'm not pretending i know the inner workings of capitalism but doesn't make any sense there anyway like we are not designed to fit the clothes. The clothes are designed to fit us. And that is the problem. But the problem is that capitalism, which is dictated to by the patriarchy, 
like preys on our insecurities and literally makes money off of our insecurities. If you think of every advertisement you have ever seen, they show you something as a woman most of the time, yes, sometimes for men, but mostly for women, something that is wrong with yourself and how they have a product to fix it. It's the same with the idea of clothing brands. They're like, if we show you these really thin women in these clothes, this is what you can aspire to be. And when you're skinny enough to fit in our clothes, you can come and join our exclusive club. Yeah, I'm going to suggest more books for people. Well, not books, but authors for people to read about capitalism. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Marx because obviously, but I'm going to suggest that some people listen, uh, read a little bit of Foku and see like how um, Foku looked at it and the French slant on um, uh, capitalism. Also, this is the first podcast we've had for a while where my internet hasn't completely fell off the face of the fucking earth. Oh my God, I was, please don't say that. You're going to jinx it now. Let's just hope we get through the last bit of the podcast. Um, While we're at book recommendations, I will have recommended her before, but she is an absolute fucking icon. Uh, Florence Given, who wrote Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Um, It's just an amazing book and it will change your outlook on life and being a woman and not having to live up to anyone else's expectations. One more book that I think people should read is Men Like Girls Who and... The front cover is this man looking like, and the, the the font's all pink, and it's like, it's like this, it's shaded as a teenage girl who wants to like, it's shaded as being the target audience for a teenage girl who wants to impress all the boys. But if you read the book, it goes like, men like girls who love themselves, like, and it, it teaches, it's like a self-help book for teenage girls who were trying to, fix their bod- fix their bodies and their personalities around men. It's like going, no, just just be 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 you. Oh, that's so nice. It's a very sweet book. Um and also uh, for anyone who is struggling with uh, insecurities or an eating disorder or body dysmorphia, um I would say some top tips are to embrace the body positivity movement on social media and follow loads of uh, pages that support body positivity. So one of my faves is um, Body Posy Panda. Um, and, oh man, I can't, <laughs> I can't think of any of, there's so many that I follow that I can't think of the names for right now, but I will release a list at some point. And at Fat Thebes, I would suggest as well. Oh, Chunky and Funky Maddie as well. Um, but yeah, I just think, talk, like, feeling like you're supported and knowing that other people are going through the same things as you like it's not necessarily going to heal you or cure you straight away but i think knowing that does help especially if you're going through something alone or you haven't talked to friends or family about it um so yeah but in the meantime uh we love you all and if you ever need to talk to anyone you can always contact uh the women's underscore workshop on instagram uh even if you just want to chat to someone we're more than happy to uh speak to you um so yeah i think that brings us to quite a nice end of our big question yeah it does that was very sweet um so yeah moving on to our outro for the evening yeah, so in today's podcast, we're talking about, uh, you just heard the predatory um, 
modeling industry we've talked about objectivity in art and all of that good stuff ella where it's time for you to plug yourself in a non-sexual way where can we find you on the internet Right, well obviously you all know me at the women's underscore workshop. Uh, I do also have an art page but it is a bit outdated, I'm sorry because I haven't posted anything on it for a while. Um, but the art page is uh, Ella S Unusual, Ella's Unusual, just all lowercase, no like full stops or anything. Um, and also just my personal Instagram is ellajasmine.samuel. So if you ever want to get in touch or you've got an idea for an, a collaboration, I'm very open. So yeah, get in touch or, you know, come support the Women's Workshop. Yeah, so like you said, you can find us at the Women's underscore Workshop. Um, we've got a competition going on at the minute, which is about what feminism means to you in your artwork. It doesn't really have a title of the competition. It's just... That sort of vibe. It's it's more of a... Um, it's more of like a think piece competition than like a competition competition. Uh, you can find me at Amy Moody and I'm on the Women's Workshop too. Sometimes I sneak a little story in there and you'll know it's me because me and I have very different speaking... like text voices it's almost weird <laughs> um, but anyway that's more than something if you are able to leave a review and um, of the podcast please do follow us drop us a like on um spotify subscribe to our youtube because we need it <laughs> oh and also, um, we are currently looking for interviewees for our podcast. Uh, so if you're an artist or you're a creator, uh, you have a small business and um, you ident identify as a woman, um, then please do contact us and we will get you on the podcast. Definitely. Um, other than that, I think it's time for us to say goodbye for now and see you next week <laughs> okay goodbye we love you all and hopefully speak to you all soon good yeah. night bye